Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Man Up, where we explore the meaning behind biblical masculinity and what it means to be a mature man who chooses sacrifice in the name of love. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, crew? So great to see so many of you at our men's gathering. Yesterday, we had over 200 manly men come out from all our liquid campuses. They was mulching and chipping, raking, cutting, planting, mopping, chopping everything up, helping our church look beautiful. Thank you, guys. It was thrilling to see so many guys just working shoulder to shoulder, sweating and laughing, fellowshipping, sharing hearts, competing in cornhole, of course. And of course, seeing who could eat the most meat. I want to apologize to all the vegans. Our men were carnivores yesterday. They ate pounds and pounds of pulled pork. Pastor Jim even roasted a pig. So if you're offended by that, send him an email. Uh, a little controversy, who was going to eat the pig eyeball, but we settled that out. It was some good, clean fun. Can we thank all the men and leaders who made yesterday a success? You know, it's kind of interesting. A few guys said to me, Pastor Tim, that was awesome. What are we going to do next for men? Well, let me tell you guys, my heart, I hope this is not a one and done event, you know? Even though our Man Up series ends today, we're hoping that this is the spark, a catalyst, the kindling that God is gonna use to raise up, equip, and unleash the men in our church. Because guys, we need your spiritual leadership. At Liquid, we need men to be spiritual leaders in our church, in our families. We need authentic men who aren't afraid to put in the work, roll up your sleeves, do the spiritual work of building your families, leading your children, investing in your marriage, using your gifts to serve this church family as spiritual leaders. And that's really what I want to talk about today. What does authentic spiritual leadership look like for men? Because I think we hear that a lot, spiritual leadership. And it's like, does that mean, you know, dad's a Bible scholar who leads family devotions every day? Most of us would fail that test, myself included. But what does authentic spiritual leadership look like in the real world? I want to culminate this series by looking today at the life of one man in the Bible who I think presents one of the most powerful pictures of what true masculine leadership looks like. Now, this guy is only mentioned once in the Bible in the Old Testament, and his name is Nehemiah. But what God accomplished through Nehemiah's life is pretty amazing. He's going to teach us two tools that every man needs in his arsenal to be the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. The first is every man needs a sword. Oh yeah, now we're talking, baby. That's what I'm talking about, a Scottish claymore. Every man needs a sword, but just like a sword, every man needs a a trowel. You guys know what this is? I'm calling this message sword and trowel. Now, you know what a sword's for, but does anybody know what a trowel is for, okay? If you're a single guy, this is a burger flipper, okay? <laughs> Actually, a trowel is a construction tool. This is a, used to build things. Everyone say build. For instance, you could build a wall or a house with a trowel, right? You lay a brick, you smear cement on the trowel, you put another brick on, smooth it with the trowel, brick trowel, brick trowel. You're building something with this. Men are called to be workers. God wired us to build things. And some of you, you guys get it, you're building a business, Maybe you're trying to build a family, build a marriage, or trying to build up your kids and leave a legacy. That's trowel work. Every man needs a trowel, but he also needs <laughs> a sword. Now, what's a sword for? A sword is used to defend yourself against enemy attack. If an enemy attacks your wife, your kids, it's your job to protect them. So men are called to defend whatever it is you're building. Everyone say fight. 
because what you're building as a Christian man will come under attack, specifically for Christian men who are redeemed by the blood of our Savior Jesus. The Bible says you have a spiritual enemy, the devil who prowls around trying to destroy whatever you're trying to build. Jesus described him this way. He said, the thief comes only to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, the devil sees what you're building and he says, you know what? I'm going to destroy that marriage. I'm going to tear apart that family. I'm going to tear down that ministry, that church, that business. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the essence of spiritual leadership is that God's given every man two roles. On the one hand, he's called you to be a worker. But on the other, he's called you to be a warrior. In other words, men provide for those they love. That's the trowel. But we also are called to protect them spiritually. That's the sword. That's the heart of spiritual leadership, learning to handle the sword and the trowel. Now, Nehemiah is probably the best example of a man who embraced that calling to be a worker and warrior for God. Nehemiah was a manly man. He knew his way around a trowel, but he also knew how to do a sword. The guy was a builder and he was tough, okay? Now, Pastor Kyra and I preached a whole series on the book of Nehemiah last year, so I'm not gonna cover the whole story. But I want to show you this one key exchange in the life of Nehemiah that jumped out at me in which he had to wield a sword and a trowel to be the spiritual leader that God called him to be. Let me give you a little context. Nehemiah was Jewish, and we're told in the Bible that the walls of his city, Jerusalem, were broken down. They had been reduced to rubble, destroyed. They were in disrepair. It was very upsetting to Nehemiah because he looked at his hometown, and and the gates of a city were the source of its strength. It was a symbol. So with broken walls, the people of God were broken down. They were vulnerable to attack. Now, Jerusalem was considered God's holy city. This was the center of Israel's spiritual life. So those broken gates symbolized the state of their broke down spirituality. The people were weak. The men had drifted from God. The nation compromised their faith. The Jews had actually been sent into exile as slaves and God was nowhere to be found. He was forgotten. And this was upsetting to me, Nehemiah. Nehemiah loved God. And when he saw his city in shambles, sapped of its strength, it bothered him. So when he heard about the walls, he decided, I'm going to do something about it. He left his cushy job as a cupbearer to king of Persia. He traveled over a thousand miles to Jerusalem with one mission in mind. He said, I'm going to motivate the men to rebuild these walls. It was a massive mission because Israel's men were defeated and demoralized. But man, I love it. Nehemiah's like, I'm a man on a mission. And from the moment he stepped in Jerusalem, everybody knew he was large and in charge. Nehemiah was an incredible spiritual leader. He envisioned the men. He organized, super, rallied them to rebuild the walls. Look what Nehemiah 4 verse 6 says. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their what? All their, all their heart. In other words, brick by brick by brick, trowel by trowel, Nehemiah and his men rebuilt that wall. But it wasn't a cakewalk. It was a fist fight. Israel had a lot of enemies, lots of them who banded together to stop them. Verse eight says this, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. How many of you know, when a man steps out to do something great for God, maybe he calls you to build a business or to fight for your family or to live pure in a polluted world. There will always be spiritual opposition. It's just the way it is. If you're gonna build something that lasts, you gotta be ready for a fight. In Nehemiah's case, his enemies wanted Israel to stay weak and vulnerable, so his men had to work under this constant threat of terrorist attack. But give Nehemiah credit. He's a man of action. Yes, he prayed, but then he planned. Look at verse 9. 
But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. In other words, if you're gonna lead God's people, you have to be ready for spiritual warfare. Now, the Bible says the weapons we fight with, this sword's really a symbol. The Bible says the weapons we fight with, they're not the weapons of this world. They're not the literal weapons. On the contrary, they have the divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. So Nehemiah prayed like it all depended on God, because it did. And then he planned and worked like it all depended on him, because that's how God works. And I love this stirring speech he gives his men in verse 14. Listen to this. Now remember here, God's men feel defeated. They're demoralized. They're intimidated by the size of their enemies and the size of the mission God's called them to. So Nehemiah rallies them with these words. Imagine him riding on his horse. He shouts this. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Now, I don't know why I think Nehemiah is Scottish. I think maybe because uh, it reminds me of Braveheart. You guys remember the, the classic movie Braveheart, Mel Gibson, who remembers this? Life of William Wallace, who frees Scotland from their oppressors. It's a classic. I couldn't stand up here and preach with a Scottish Claymore and not show you a clip. Men, let this stir your spirit. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight against that? No, we will run and we will live. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom! Braveheart speaks straight to the soul of a man. When you're faced with opposition, will you, will you tuck tail and run like a coward? 
or will you stand and fight? Fight back for your freedom. That, in essence, is what Nehemiah says to his men. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters. Fight for your wives and your homes. It's this William Wallace moment. And, and notice the priorities he lays out. He says, first, remember the Lord. In other words, a man's number one priority is cultivating a spiritual life with God. If you don't have a thriving relationship with the Lord, how are you going to lead other people? He says, then you, you fight for your brothers. So second priority is actually building relationships with other men. Now, that was new for some of you yesterday. Some of you are stepping out of isolation, getting your first taste of what it's like to have a band of Christian brothers around you. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons and your daughters, he says third. Some of you are dads. And God's calling you to fight for your children because there's a battle going on for the mind of your middle schooler. Maybe your son is being bullied or struggling at school or your daughter is being eaten alive by Instagram and questioning her identity in Christ. Nehemiah says, fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. That's the last one. It's about marriage. I want to talk about how real men build a relationship with a woman and then fight for and defend the relationship you're called to build with her. Now, just to be clear, you're fighting for your wife, not with your wife, okay? <laughs> Clarification there. But those are four priorities that Nehemiah rallies his men around. He challenges them. He says, would you embrace your role as a warrior for the Lord and a leader in your home? That's what spiritual leadership is. And Nehemiah says, you need two tools to do it well. Look what actually what it says. It says, from that day on, half my men did the what? Did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. So the men are now working together. Half of them are workers and half of them are are warriors. But now look at this detail in verse 17. This is so cool. Scripture says, those who carried the building materials, they did their work with one hand and held what? A weapon in the other. Did you catch it? In one hand, the men carried a trowel. That's for the work. In the other hand, he carried a sword. That's for the war. God calls men to be workers. He calls them to be warriors, to build a life brick by brick, but then to defend what he's building from spiritual attack. Again, a trowel, right? Brick, mortar, brick, mortar. It's a basic for building a house, a walling, a foundation. Here's the deal, guys, lean in. About 80% of your life is boring trowel work, yeah? It's the mundane stuff. Every man's called to build something. Maybe you're building a career, or a job. You might be called to build a home or a family or, or, or your kids, you're building a family and you underwrite it by building a business. A man may be called to build a church or a ministry. On some basic level, all men are called to some level of trowel work. But building alone isn't all there is, according to Nehemiah. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. What's that sword for? It's to ward off attack. You actually have to protect what you're building. See, if you approach life with just a trowel, it's naive. It ain't enough. Because what you build can and will come under attack by the thief who comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy and every Christian man who's decided, I'm going to follow Jesus, you're going to be opposed. And that's where the sword comes in. So God calls us men to trowel work, build things up for his glory, but you got to know how to handle a sword as well, guys, to protect the things you're called to build, whether you're marriage, kids, home, business, or ministry. So these two biblical symbols, I think they pose two critical questions for modern men. Here's the first, ready? Man, what has God called you to build? What's he calling you to build? Is it a spiritual life, a, a relationship with a woman? Build a family with your children, a company, a business, a career, a ministry. What's he called you to build? Secondly, here's your sword question. 
how do you defend and fight for what you're building? Now today, I wanna go live and talk about how to do this. We don't have time for every area, but I will look at those quickly, those four priorities Nehemiah outlines in verse 14. He said, remember the Lord, and I'm gonna ask this question, how do you build a spiritual life with God as a man? How do you fight for your brothers? How do you cultivate authentic relationships with other guys? How about your sons and daughters? I'm gonna give practical tools to some dads today who are called to raise their kids and your wives and your homes. How do you grow a life-giving relationship with a woman and fight for the marriage you've been called to build together? So let's start with that first one, your spiritual life with God. And when I say spiritual life, I don't mean, how do you be religious, okay? Religion, Jesus had no time for. Jesus had one about a relationship where your identity is deeply rooted in who you are as God's child. Now, here's who you are. Understand, it starts with bad news. You're a sinful man, me too. <laughs> but here's the good news. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we have his spirit living us. And so what that means is we are living as sons of God, committed to following Jesus, even when it's unpopular and gets hard. The question is, what trowel work do you need to build a spiritual life? The answer is, it's not just going to church, what we're doing now. Men, I'm happy you're here right now or you're watching online, but let me tell you something, an hour on Sunday is not enough. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul, listen to what he said to the men. He said, brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants or babies in Christ. I gave you what? Milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for it. Now, I think we all know babies drink milk, but a man eats, everyone, meat. Yeah, unless he's vegan, then he's a Methodist. <laughs> Paul's like, you men are a bunch of babies. You're infants in Christ. Now, no judgment. That's the place we all start as new believers. But God wants men to grow up strong in the faith to become meat-eating spiritual leaders. And what that requires is at some point, men, you have to take responsibility for your own spiritual life and disciplines. Some of you love to go to the gym. Yeah, you love to work out, exercise, grow your physical muscles. Same thing. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to carve out daily time to exercise your soul, stretch your mind, expand your heart. The most basic trial work for any man building a life with God is learning to feed yourself. I find that most Christian men today are spiritually starving. We like to feast on Sunday blah, 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 for an hour, and then it's famine Monday through Friday. Today, we have more Christian books, sermons, podcasts, music, more than ever. But very few men take responsibility for their own study of scripture and the silence and stillness it takes to be present to God. Paul says, you know, the men in the Corinthian church could only drink milk. Isn't that sad? They had sippy straws. They were a bunch of spiritual babies, according to Paul. So how do you grow spiritual muscles? Well, here's a paradigm that served me well over the years. The first thing I do is I divert daily. Every day, you've got to set aside 15, 20 minutes to connect with God by reading and meditating on his word, feeding yourself, taking out your Bible, reading some scripture, reorienting your mind about who God is and what he's saying to you. Again, even if it's first thing when you get up, let me encourage you, before you check your phone, you open, before you start screaming with the world, you need to listen to God. Before you check sports scores, you need to divert daily. Saturate yourself with scripture, reflection, listen, you got to hear from the heart of God and you need a regular plan of Bible study. I would encourage you to keep a journal about the things that God is speaking to you outside of an hour on Sunday. That's diverting daily. But here's the thing, you need to then withdraw weekly. Every week, I think a man needs extended time alone in solitude and silence with God. Now for me, that's typically Wednesday or Thursday. I actually leave the church. I disappear from the office. 
I will often go to the lake or the walk in the woods behind our house. And that is where I withdraw every week to actually dig into scripture, spend a block of time in prayer. When I say prayer, I don't mean like, you know, bless the food, quickie prayer at meals. I'm talking about actually wrestling with God. I lean in, I'll often get on the ground and pray about the decisions I'm facing as a man, as a leader for Christ. I pray for our church. I pray for many of you by name in the woods. <laughs> I withdraw weekly to walk and talk with God because that's what Jesus did. He withdrew to be with his Abba. Understand it is the secret source of spiritual strength from which everything else flows. I divert daily, I withdraw weekly, and then finally, I abandon annually. At least once a year, men, you need to disappear for a few days alone, just you and God, mano a mano, man to man, one-on-one. -on -one. If you look at the great men in the Bible who God used in a powerful way, spiritual giants, Moses took his tent to the desert. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Every man needs his sword sharpened fresh by God once a year to receive fresh revelation from him, vision for your life and your family. You need to abandon annually and set aside sacred time just seeking God's face and his will for your life. Now for me this summer, I've set aside an entire week, about four days to abandon my normal roles and responsibilities so I can just hear freshly from God. I've got four, it's actually almost four to five days for a silent retreat where it's just gonna be me and my Bible and I'm gonna read a new book I've set aside. It's called Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times. It's by one of my favorite spiritual writers, John Eldridge. After two years of pandemic, I'm like, man, I need to hear freshly from God. I need a, a fresh injection of supernatural resilience so I can recover my joy, strengthen my heart and lead my family and this church from posture of rest and health and strength. You see, as that creeps closer, understand something, I'm already fighting, having to fight for it. <laughs> Remember I said four or five days, I'm not sure, because there's a calendar conflict right now. It's like, we got this vacation thing and my kids want to do this and, and, and I work these demands, but that's a sacred block for me. I can only do that myself. I got to fight for it. What's the point? Every man must find a spiritual rhythm. That's mine. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Back and forth, back and forth. Learn how to use that trowel to lay the foundation and you fight for it. Let me tell you what won't work, men. You can't come to church an hour a week and expect to grow. It's like going to the gym once a week and saying, oh, where's the gun show, man? <laughs> you weren't meant to feast on weekends and then starve the rest of the week. Listen to what Hebrews 5 says. It says, anybody who lives on milk, being still a baby, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for who? Is for, they say it together, the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Notice it says by constant use. That's day in, day out, consistency. It's like you're training for a marathon. The spiritual life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And you guys know this, the road we talked about last week, the road is littered with plenty of men who sprinted hard out of a gate, but didn't finish well. Men, you've got to feed yourself. That's the foundation, moving from milk, the basics, to meet the deeper walk of the Christian life. And you got to invite other men into the mix. That's the second priority of Nehemiah. He says, fight. Fight for who? Fight for your brothers. It's about spiritual community. You need a band of brothers to do this with. Remember, trial in one hand, sword in the other. Nehemiah brought them together as a fighting unit. Do you have brothers in the faith to sharpen your sword like iron sharpens iron? I want to bring out two men right now who I consider spiritual brothers 
to talk about this. They actually helped lead yesterday's outreach. Would you welcome Tommy Doe and Jim Gotchell? What's up, boys? How you doing, my man? Good to see you, Tommy. Welcome. Good to see you. Give him a big hand. Pasek in the house. Thanks for coming, guys. Maybe just start by telling us which campus you attend. Um, you know, what you do during the weekend, introduce us to your family. Tommy? Sure, my name is Tommy Dell. I, I live in Parsippany. I also go to Parsippany campus. Uh, I have been a member of Liquid since 2008, so wow. I've been around for a long, Bro, long time. Bro, you're an OG, original, I, uh, original gangster, I man. I certainly <laughs> am, certainly am. Uh, I work for Nike. I'm in the HR department and in the international benefits practice. Uh, I am married to my beautiful wife, Danielle, of six years, and I have two little boys. Um, one, Lucas, who's three years old, and Emmett, who is one years old. Oh, man, they're incredible. Look at that family, man. Love it. Amazing. Jim, how about you, man? Uh, yeah, so I serve as a campus pastor at Liquid's Passaic County campus. Super excited about that. I'm also a husband to Shauna. We actually met in high school. We're high school sweethearts. Um, and together, we have two amazing uh, biological sons, Caleb and Jonah, along with an amazing foster son, Alex. Now, you guys, I asked you to come here because I know you've got a full plate. Like, you're, you're stuffed to the rafters at work, at home, your family. Tell me what your spiritual life looks like. Like, what, what keeps your sword sharp? Sure. So I think my life has been a lot different since I've had kids. Um, there's no more long podcasts and intense Bible studies. So we kind of take it as we go. And one of the things that I found really helpful is to actually just pause throughout my day. Mm. And just find those like one minute, two minutes, three minutes to just center around God and really just give thanks to him. And, and I think that's been helpful in terms of keeping my sword sharp. Uh, the other bit I think that I do a lot and, of course, is on Mondays is my small group. Mm. So shout out to Phil and Brian, uh, my, <laughs> men's, my men's small group, where even though I'm trudging along and on Monday nights I'm just so tired, I log in because we do virtual. And um, it, it just fills me up to be with my men's group. Um, to be able to just kind of listen to them and commune with them. So those are, the, I think, the biggest two things that I do. How about you, Jim? Yeah, similar. I'm also part of a band of brothers. Um, we're a group of pastors that meet together monthly, led by uh, Peter Pendel, who's just an amazing spiritual father, just an amazing man, just able to sit his, at his feet and just uh, to grow from him and to understand how to lead in ministry and how to finish well, but also with these group of pastors, these group of men where we could just sharpen each other and grow. Um, I also, uh, Tommy, unlike you, my kids are a little older, so I have a little bit more time uh, in the mornings with um, where my kids aren't going to kill themselves, maybe each other, but definitely not themselves. <laughs> um, so uh, one thing I'm, I'm learning to do is uh, rather than view my um, devotional time as like an obligation, which I've not really been good at, if I can be honest with you guys, um, I've now switched my perspective and say, you know what, Jesus is waiting for me every morning when I wake up. Hmm. And that perspective shift has changed everything because now I just actually look forward to waking up at 4.45 a.m. and spending time with him because Jesus is there. So that's what I'm doing. I love that, a sense of kind of expectancy, right? Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. What intentional male friendship, uh, what role does that play in your walk with Christ? Sure. So one of the things that I, I realize as I get older is, you know, doing things alone, being successful alone, you know, kind of achieving things alone you're doing it alone. <laughs> Whereas I think as we want to go further and farther out, I realize that I need a group of men. And again, not a ton of men. So quality over quantity mm -hmm. is the idea that I have to have Christian men in my life to be able to kind of take that next step into what I would call, you know, being a man. So for me, one of the ways I can accurately describe it is how many airport friends do I have? And what I mean by that is how many of my friends really will wake up at 6 a.m., 
to take me to the airport. Oh man, you call me, I won't be your friend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and but that, that, what it illustrates is dependency. Yeah. How many men can I depend on in the good, the bad, the ugly? How many of those guys are gonna be there for me mm. as I need them? And for me, that's why intentional male friendship is so important. Yeah, I like what you said there. It's been said that if you want to go uh, faster, go alone, but if you wanna go further, you've gotta go with a team. Mm. Jim, tell us about in your own life. Yeah, I love that because, uh, you know, if I'm being honest with you guys, one thing I haven't been good at is actually being part of a wolf pack. I've probably been doing things more alone, okay. uh, going faster, but to go further, I realized I need that wolf pack. Uh, so I mentioned that band of brothers earlier, uh, that really is a big part of that. Um, I also realized uh, now that I'm in the ministry and uh, serving in the ministry full time, I can sometimes get trapped in like a Christian bubble. And I realized mm -hmm. if I want to expand my perspective, I need to expand my circle. So Sean and I have been intentionally actually trying to get outside of our Christian bubble or, or, or Christian circles to engage and make friends with uh, people in town who uh, maybe aren't necessarily Christians or strong Christians. Um, and it's been so fruitful in, uh, in, in growing us in this season. I love that. Guys, it's so important. Community plays such a key role in spiritual formation. And that is really why we encourage every Matt Liquid to get in a small group. If you need help with that, talk to your campus leader today. Um, we're going to help plug you in. I know in my own life, I got a couple of older male mentors who keep my sword sharp. Peter Pendel and Warren Bird are like spiritual fathers to me. They're 20 years my, my junior, just a wealth of wisdom and encouragement. Um, they check in regularly with me. They have permission to ask me the hard questions. They're like spiritual mentors, really keep my heart soft, give me guidance. I really believe we all need spiritual brothers, but we also need spiritual fathers. Uh, I've heard it said, behind every great man is a greater man showing him the ropes. So what does that mean? If you're here today and you're single and you're like, man, I'd love to be married one day, find a married dude and invite him out to coffee. <laughs> if you're older, you see a young man flattering, vice versa. Our church needs spiritual brothers, fathers, mentors, coaches. You don't become a warrior overnight, guys. Nehemiah says, remember the Lord, fight for your brothers. And then he says, fight for your sons and your daughters. Talk about children. So now both of you guys are daddies. <laughs> and I don't know of any more important spiritual work than being a father. What's God teaching you guys about raising your kids? Sure. So I think one of the things to say is before I even became a biological father, I've been a father because <laughs> I've, I've been around liquid family ministry for so long. So I think that's one of the best things about kind of going into it, right? Um, raising kids to me um, and having two children on my own, I think caught me one beautiful thing, and that is agape love or unconditional love. Yeah. Um, and the way I could best describe it is, you know, the moment I saw both of my sons and the moment I, I always look at my sons, I just know how much and how deep I love them. Mm. And for me, that is just something that I, I don't think I could have done without being a father. But what it reminds me of is as much as I love and just adore my children, mm. I realize that. God loves me infinitely, so yeah. much more. And that's something that I think I, I struggled with as I, I grew in, uh, in my faith. But now that I've kind of understood how much I love my children, and then I get to sit down and say, wow, God loves me that much more yeah. has been something that I just can't believe I've, I've learned and, and yeah. I've been able to experience. Beautiful. How about you, Jim? Yeah, I mean, similar to that. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that Sean and I are foster parents. And, uh, you know, I think that experience, this experience is teaching us and me certainly more about God's love for me. Um, he's actually taught me in this season uh, that uh, as a foster dad, I'm not their savior. Uh, hmm. They're his kids. I'm their protector for hmm. sure, but I don't need to be their savior. Um, that's wow. his job. He's already paid that price. Hmm. Uh, it's actually really beautiful. Um, you know, it's also taught me 
uh, what it's like to actually give your whole heart to someone yeah. uh, and not necessarily get anything in return or not get mm-hmm. what you're expecting it's hard. in return. Yeah. Um, you know, as much as that breaks my heart, it, it just helps me realize that God actually, I do this to God every day. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, God. So in the midst of all of that, he doesn't stop loving me or us. Yes. And um, he pursues us relentlessly and recklessly. So, you know, I feel like in this season, I'm able to love my foster kids, even my biological kids, my wife, my, my church, um, even more because I fully under, or I shouldn't say fully, I better understand God's love for me. Yeah. Dads, you have a high calling. Understand, man, to have a little boy, a son to look up to you, a daughter to see what a man is like, to what to look for even in a man. Both are spiritual callings from God. So here's a question I want to challenge you to ask yourself. First, ask yourself this. What do I do to be, build each of my kids up? Because that's, that's the daily uh, trial work, right? It, it, it's, it's dinner. It's bath time. It's playing Legos and, and you know, story time and a million other things where your presence in that child's life is decisive. And trial, trial work is tiring, right, guys? I mean... As fathers, you know this. But you, you also have to know how to use your sword too, okay? Not on your kids. Again, here's the question. What do you do to fight for their heart? To actually find their God-given strength, their glory, and to protect them. I remember, guys, when my son came home, he was a, he was a little guy at the time, and he came home from a play date at a friend's house. And uh, he used a word, let's put it this way, we don't use it in our home, okay? <laughs> and I was like on that like stink on poop. I called the parents, found out that the high, older high school brother was the babysitter watching them. Guess what? Playdates moved to our house. Understand? That's sword work. It's protecting your kid's innocence. Do you know who your kid's friends are? Nehemiah says, fight for them. Fight for your sons and your daughters. Use your sword. You draw boundaries. You protect your kids. And then he closes and says, finally, fight for your wives and your homes, which is about marriage. Can I ask how long have each of you been married? I know, I know it's like guy code. You don't make them do math <laughs> in front of the women. But how long have you guys been married? Six years. Six years? Uh, Fifteen. Fifteen. Congratulations, man. It's Thank amazing. You. Thank you. Now, tell the men maybe one way, Jim, that you invest in your marriage. Now, here's how I want to ask you, ask you this. How do you, with Sean, how do you fight to keep the romance alive after 15 years so that you don't turn into roommates? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think the biggest thing is we still date each other, and like we pursue each other, and I pursue her mostly. Uh, Tim, we actually stole this out of your playbook. We actually have a breakfast date uh, Friday morning, so we drop off the kids in the morning for about 30, 40 minutes. We just go to the Colombian bakery. We get some uh, cafe con leche, uh, maybe some empanadas, some calentado. Uh, we just chat and catch up. Um, and then we also try to, every now and then, uh, schedule some respite weeks. Uh, and this week, actually, so today, this afternoon, my wife is going to be driving uh, all three of the boys out to Pennsylvania to drop them off with their grandma, which means we have one-on-one week all alone. I can't wait. Uh, amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, so if you haven't told, uh, can't tell, my wife's love language is quality time, but mine is physical touch. So to make sure we can, you know, we're both speaking each other's languages. Sometimes we know when the kids go to bed, we still do some uh, good old-fashioned Netflix and chill. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I like your I'm not going to lie. I've definitely stole that from you, Tim, as well. It's just the whole idea of date nights, right? So we do the same thing. And I remember sitting in these seats going, man, when I get a girlfriend, I'm going to go on date night. Yeah. And then when I get married, I'm going to go on date night. And yeah. then when I have children, I'm going to go on date night. So we still do that. That's one of the practices we have. It keeps our romance alive. But also, Jim, to your point, we still also have 
date night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that I think we do uh, as well as in to preserve our marriage and as I continue to uh, pursue my wife is that we actually look at the beauty in the mundane. And what I mean by that is we still, you know, I think in the, in the, the chaos of normal life, you just want to divide and conquer and be efficient with your life. And then that means you go separate ways and you have to take care of the kids and this and that. Yeah. For us, it's going to the grocery store together. Talking real sexy. Real sexy. Se- sexy trial work right there, man. <laughs> Talk about what kind of green peppers are we going to you know, buy. <laughs> and for us, that's, it's important because we're still doing things together. Yeah. And for us, you know, one of the little things that we do that reminds us that we're a team is we go, <clears throat> we give us each other high fives and we say, team dough. That's what we say. <laughs> team dough. I and, love it. And th- that, just those little things, that's what keeps us together. You know, I have to laugh because my wife's love language is acts of service, right? So it's a lot of, you know, taking out the garbage, loading the dishwasher, you're picking up the dog poop, a lot of boring trial work. But understand, sword work is different because you build a marriage that way, but you've got to fight for it. I love that you guys schedule romantic getaways. You've got to fight for that in advance, guys, so that you don't just become friends or roommates or co-parents. I want to make sure we stay lovers, okay? That, that was key when our kids were little, uh, like yours are, Tommy. We had to have intentional one-on-one time without the kids because those kids will eat the leaves off your tree. They will strip the bark off it, man. <laughs> So you got to get away from those little buggers, get a sitter, draw my grandma's out in Pennsylvania. Even one night away makes a difference. Jim, let me ask you about conflict in marriage. You've been married 15 years. I'm sure you've never had a fight, right? No, Come on. Baloney. We all do. But a lot of guys struggle with navigating conflict. What have you learned about navigating conflict with your wife? Yeah, I think to sum it up, it's probably just, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Uh, marriage <laughs> is really, really hard work. Um, you know, I'll never forget the time when uh, we're in an argument, um, Sean and I are, and I think I'm winning the, winning the argument. I'm like, I'm right here. I need to seek justice. Sean is going to understand. And uh, she stopped me in my tracks and said, Jimmy, are you trying to, are you trying to uh, make a point or make a difference? And I'm like, in that moment, I realized that the Holy Spirit sounds like exactly like Shauna. <laughs> um, but I realized that I was just being a jerk and I just needed to... Um, uh, to just slow down and realize that, hey, you know what? If I'm going to actually uh, invest in this marriage, I need to do the hard work that is required. So uh, things I do now is uh, I try to just slow down and actually validate her feelings and not mm-hmm. actually get defensive about them. Um, or when she's, um, when she's sharing uh, some heartfelt uh, news, I feel like I don't, I, a lot of times I have to solve the problems. Um, but I just listen. I'm like, okay, I understand. And uh, in this moment, it's a lot about communication. And I realize that, okay, um, if I'm going to invest in this marriage, I really just need to invest in myself and make myself right with God. Because um, if Jesus died for his bride, then I need to stop treating my wife like an enemy in court and actually win her heart. Yeah, that's so important, guys, because you listen, you can win the argument, right? But you can actually lose their heart. That is so key here, David. We'll just keep going because I know we're running out of time. People want to hear more. But when it comes to conflict, guys, you have to learn how to fight fair. Fight fair. You're fighting for your marriage. Don't fight your spouse, right? She's not the enemy. One of the ways the devil loves to gain a foothold is a spiritual warfare piece. Put a wedge in your relationship is through that unresolved conflict. Um, God's word in Ephesians says this, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. And that, that principle, right, where we say, oh, don't go to bed angry. It's actually served Colleen and I well. We're like all other couples. We argue, we fight, we fuss, we disagree. It's natural. But men, it's what you do in the wake of that that is supernatural, right? Grace is God's ability to give you to not only say, I'm sorry when wrong, but step beyond the I'm right, I'm wrong, and actually go to God and say, God, you need to correct me. I'm your son, you're my father. 
even if I'm in the right, correct the way I say it. You know, it's funny, there's a big turn in our marriage probably seven years in where Colleen said to me, she said, you know, I trust you now when we argue, Tim, because I know you're not going to verbally run me over anymore. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty good verbally. <laughs> and she'd say, I can tell when you've been with God and that you actually pray before you talk with me about our conflict and it makes a difference. Early in our marriage, I just didn't realize if you win the argument, you lose every time. So I never fight my wife anymore. I fight for the marriage. That's a mega mind shift for a lot of men because if the enemy guys can get you angry, bitter, disillusioned with the girl, he's going to get at your kids, poison the family, and soon later it will poison your relationship with God. Tommy, let me end with you because, um, you know, you came to Liquid back 2008. This is 14 years ago. How old were you, man? 23. 23. Speak to the 23-year-old out there. Speak to the, the young men here who might be wondering, man, What's my next step? I'd love to have a relationship with a woman. I'd love to have kids. What's a next step will you tell 23-year-old Tommy to take? So let me just tell you about my BC Tommy. So before Christ Tommy. <laughs> I was a little, a little bit of a wild child. I think I did a lot of things that I'm not really proud of anymore. But, you know, one of the things that I, as I was going through that, and Christ was being introduced to my life, and he was influencing my heart, there was this point where I had to make a decision, or at least I felt like I had to make a decision and say, am I going to stay this little boy that partied and chased girls and did all these things mm. every weekend? Or, am I, or do I want to become the man that I want to be? Because I always wanted to be a good husband, a good father, successful in my business career. Yeah. Those are things. But I didn't know how to get between those two. But I did know that I think being with God was the answer. I didn't know how, that, how to do that. But I did find myself in two, two different parts of my life. The first one was sitting in a parking lot in New Brunswick, back in New Brunswick, Middlesex campus, right before my first small group, and just saying, this is so stupid. What am I, what am I doing here? What? I, I'm, I'm this crazy person. I have tattoos, and I don't belong in a Christian small group. And for me, it was a hard moment, but I'm so glad that I decided to say, I'm going to go. So my encouragement to anyone who's been in that step is take the step. You're going to find people are just like you, and they're going to accept you, and they're going to love you. And the other one is the one where I needed to grow deeper into my faith. And I said, what's my next step? And how do I take the things that I'm learning at church, how do I apply them to my life? And for me, it, it was serving. The answer was serving. And the more that I was able to serve, and I, mind you, I started with like folding programs. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> and then I started serving at outreaches, and then I started doing a relief bus, but then I started, you know, serving at uh, Liquid Middle School and all the different places. And I realized that serving is what got me closer to God. And serving is what took me to that next level in my faith. And I'll be honest with you, I got a wife out of it. Just so everybody knows. Just so everybody knows. I got married. I got my, you know, so I think I got a pretty good deal out of serving. Serve on a dream team. You might meet the dream woman, man. That's amazing. Listen, that's a great question to end on. Just for all the men here, my question is this. What next step is God calling you? to take today. I mean, maybe it's joining a men's small group, stepping out of isolation in the community. Maybe it's uh, approaching an older man about, about mentoring. We'd love that to have that happen in this church. Or maybe it's just scheduling a date with your wife, being intentional. Remember, God calls a man to be a workman and a warrior. Nehemiah was both. That his war cry, let it rally you, men. In fact, let's read it aloud together, men, okay? Now put up on the screen, big loud voice. Come on, men, okay? Get, you guys with me? You ready? Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Remember, Remember the Lord. Lord. 
who's great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah took out his trowel and he strapped on his sword and he's challenging all of us to do the same. Are you prepared to man up? If you're with us, say hoo-ha, guys. Come on. Hoo-ha. Pastor Jim, would you pray for us, man? Come on. Let's have all the men stand up at all of our campuses. Stand up on up, man. We want to just pray over you right now. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, this is the day that you have made, and we are rejoicing, and we are glad in it, God. God, I just ask that you continue to stir in the hearts of the men in our church, God. May this not be a flash-in-the-pan moment, God, but an actual momentum builder. Allow us to build on what you are doing here, God. Allow us to take up the trowel and the sword in Jesus' name. The entire church said, amen. 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 We love you guys. Bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.